ransomware trends? Has Revil disbanded? And how does that impact the cybercrime ecosystem? These stories and more in this week's ISMG Security Report. Hi, I'm Anna Delaney. What's up with Revil? Questions have been mounting since the notorious ransomware-as-a-service operation, aka Sodanakibi, went quiet on July the 13th. To learn more about what exactly is happening on the dark side, I caught up with executive editor Matthew Schwartz. So Matt, it seems that ransomware is changing daily. What's new? What are some of the new attack strategies we've seen this week? Yes, it's amazing the pace of change in the ransomware ecosystem. We've seen some big groups apparently having gone away, like Revil, aka Sudanir Kivi, and also Darkside. They both appear to have exited recently, last month or two. But then we see new groups debuting. There's one called Black Matter, which in recent weeks has announced via a dedicated dark web website that it's the new game in town. It claims to combine the best features of Lockbit, which is still going, as well as Darkside and Revil, which are no longer going. Whether or not this is an individual or group that was previously associated with any of these other ransomware operations remains to be seen. It's possible they're just trying to cash in on a bit of the notoriety of the name. And experts also still haven't seen any of the group's alleged crypto locking malware. So we are seeing new groups appear, the, this one and others, on a near constant basis. There's lots of newcomers, that's always been the case, but we're not necessarily seeing any really big players having yet emerged following the disappearance of groups like Revil. Ransomware operators used to be solo hackers, but now it seems that they're cybercrime syndicates. Just tell us more about this shift. Yeah, there's been a huge change. If you look at the mid-2010s, it really seemed like ransomware was this spray and pray sort of thing. It was very in the heels, in the model of kind of the banking Trojans that we used to see. What's happened since then is increasing specialization. We've seen the emergence of the ransomware as a service model, where the operators provide crypto locking malware to affiliates. They typically download it via a portal, infect somebody. If the victim pays, then the operator and the affiliate share in the profits. This has allowed for much more increased specialization. And some of the big groups have really doubled down on this specialization. Ransomware Incident Response from Coveware in a new report says that some of the attacks that it's helped victims recover from likely have up to a dozen different individuals involved from the very beginning to the very end. So target selection through getting them infected, through negotiation, through paying, through getting them a decryptor and making sure it works, all that sort of thing. There's another new report out from Intel 471 of Threat Intel, which looks at the potential profits to be made by these specialists who work with groups. And they trace just a single threat actor, as they call this, who over the course of less than six months went from newbie, they'd never been seen before, to working with Darkseid, providing it with distributed denial of service attacks, DDoS attacks, and getting up to $7,000 per victim who paid. So it was a profit sharing model there as well. So if you think about this, if there's up to maybe 12 of these individuals helping these attacks succeed, you can see now why some of these big attacks were, were so successful. Yes, absolutely. And big ransomware groups like Revil and Darkseid, as you mentioned, seemed to have disappeared. Have the attacks we've seen against victims changed as a result? 
That is one of the big open questions. I think a lot of security experts are expecting the operators of groups like Darkside and Revil to come back in some other form. Certainly the affiliates of these groups who are skilled at attacking targets, there are some very, very skilled affiliates, which has helped drive the huge increase in attacks against large organizations, which they can demand greater ransoms from when they pay. All of that is this heady, criminal, profit-making mix. And so I really don't think we're going to see these attacks go away, bar some kind of geopolitical law enforcement or some unknown, you know, silver bullet we haven't seen before come to bear on these groups because the profits to be made are just astronomical. And so it's a sure bet that although they'll have different names, we're going to see a lot of these players. We don't know who they are, right? But they're going to be coming back in some new form. I don't know if it'll be Revil, Reloaded, or, you know, Son of the Dark Side or whatever, but it's a sure bet that we're going to see attackers hitting big targets again, if they're not already, before too long, given the insane profits. You're listening to the ISMG Security Report on ISMG Radio. ISMG, your number one source for information security news. If you're a business who's been hit by a ransomware attack, what are your options? Fabian Vosar, CTO of Emsisoft, says that very much depends on whether your organization has working backups, so he told Matthew Schwartz in a recent interview. If not, how should you proceed? I know there are like a lot of different kind of views when it comes to whether or not you should pay ransom. Obviously, if you can avoid it at all costs, please do, because your ransom payment essentially is financing the uh, operation that hits the next couple of victims. And it's like kind of this endless perpetual cycle where people have to pay ransoms in order for their companies not to go under. But in turn, you also condemn other companies to like a similar fate, right? Now, if you do have to pay a ransom because either the data that was stolen would kind of ruin your entire company or you don't have backups and like you can't rebuild the data from scratch, so to say, uh, since it's not practical, then I would strongly suggest to go to like a professional negotiating service. The reason for that is... Uh, well, there are like a couple of uh, practical reasons like, yeah, the ransomware negotiators, they can actually give you a proper invoice and you don't have to explain to like your local tax service what that huge Bitcoin transfer was, right? Um, but the other one is that a lot of these negotiating services like Hopeware, for example, they have like vast experience when it comes to handling these cases. They have large databases um, that allow them to kind of give you an idea how long it's going to take, whether or not the um, threat actor will just take your money and run. And they will also have like a valuable insight into whether or not the decryptor that is uh, that you will get back when you pay the ransom is actually working. Because not all these decryptors actually perform reasonable. A lot of them kind of cause issues. And finally, the NSO Group's Pegasus scandal, which hit the headlines last week, raises important questions about the wider issue of cyber surveillance weapons and how they're used, monitored and regulated. Bogdan Nikolai, veteran cybersecurity journalist and editor-in-chief of the online news site The Defense and Security Monitor, based in Romania, had an interesting take on this topic. I asked him whether an appropriate use for spyware exists, and if so, what does that look like? Let's be honest, if Israel has such a tool, 
that is doing a lot of good things in combating the terrorist networks or serious crime, the first or the easiest way would have been for the intelligence or security services of Israel to invite their peers all around the globe to cooperate, to target together people, to work together on special missions. In that way, keeping the uniqueness of the tool, keeping everything within the walls of Israel in terms of software, but sharing the result of the tool with their peers, with their partners. That would have been probably much more acceptable way of taking advantage of the vulnerabilities they have discovered within the various types of phones, iPhones, Androids, whatever, operation systems of telecom companies. But instead of that, what do we see? We see uh, chasing money, we see a lust for power and uh, a search for uh, more money for profits. And that's why probably we have today this type of problems. They were searching for profit. They were selling for huge money, for a lot of money. It was probably, uh, of course, a, a request from the shareholders. Who knows? It was their decision to sell on various occasions to various types of clients this cyber weapon. That's it from the ISMG Security Report. Theme music is by Ithaca Audio. I'm Anna Delaney. Until next time.